all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're uh, tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So in this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. So hopefully that uh, you see how that works and how the word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world. And this show really looks to explore those two areas. Guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, coaches, consultants, kind of the, the gamut of people in the, the talent space from all different industries. And what typically happens is I'm out at networking events or conferences, and I have the privilege of meeting these inspiring leaders all the time. And instead of me cornering them and asking them a million questions that only I get to hear all the answers to, I decided to create this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter right now by sending them to at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag, all one word, the hashtag TalentTalk. And my producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll work them into the show. You can also send us suggestions, guest suggestions, um, but if you have complaints, send them by snail mail. All right. So uh, don't forget, you can also uh, hear this show in the future or listen to past shows uh, on a podcast on iTunes, as well as uh, Android or where else you pick them up. And you can also have subscribe to have that show, show uh, automatically sent into your phone or your iPad or whatever each week. We already have 32,000 of you who are doing that each week, and we really appreciate your support and are just uh, really inspired and awed that so many of you are tuning in each week to do that. With that said, let's get today's show started. <clears throat> My guests uh, today are Kelly Dingy. She's the Strategic uh, Recruiting Manager for Staffing Advisors, and Nicole uh, Felleris. Uh, Felurus, excuse me, founder and CEO of Elite Development Group. Nicole will join me in the uh, second part of the show. So now let's get to my first guest, Kelly. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I'm sorry, Chris. Thanks, Chris. I'm really glad to be here. No, no problem. Uh, glad to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know your story, and of course, then uh, how that all kind of correlates into your company now, Staffing Advisors. Well, my elevator speech is that I've been in HR for a little over 20 years now, which is kind of amazing to me because it's really flown by. Uh, The last 16 years or so, I've been dedicated to the function of sourcing, which when I talk to candidates, I have to explain to them that I go out and find them, not necessarily waiting for them to come find me. So I work in retain search for staffing advisors, which means we're engaged by our clients to go out and find the candidates for their jobs. Um, And I really do focus in on that part of not just posting jobs and sifting through resumes as they come in, but actually going out on 
online and finding the candidates, whether it be, you know, surfing LinkedIn, surfing a job board, surfing through posted resumes or profiles that are available online or taking a list or roster or right now I'm looking at an organizational chart and then building it out into a possible candidate pool for our clients. So that's pretty much what I do. And in the rest of my day, I'm a mom of three. Um, I'm a huge social media fan. I do some volunteer work for nonprofit organizations on the side, um, completely free as a volunteer, just helping build their social media presence. Um, and that's really who I am in the full scheme of things is a little of this, a little of that. Yeah, just like everyone uh, trying to uh, figure everything out. But it sounds like you're being quite successful in going out there and finding those candidates. So. Yeah, as a recruiting manager, you know, you're looked at to provide kind of that strategic talent that's needed for a company. What is that biggest challenge you face in procuring that specific type of talent that a company needs? Because I'm sure your clients, you know, it's different from, from company to company, but I'm wondering if there's maybe something specific that, you know, you find as a challenge in trying to go out and get that particular person once you've identified who that might be or what they need to have. Every given day is different here because we don't just focus in on one industry. I like to think that we specialize in nonprofit and association type organizations as far as staffing goes. They're our favorites to work with. We really like to work with those organizations that have a a positive mission. Um, We work with for-profits as well. Quite often, particularly when we get into the construction industry, it's really tough to locate those people. They haven't always built a strong presence online. And if right. they have built a presence, you're kind of putting, you know, pieces of a puzzle together because maybe you find your, their name in one place and you find their profile on Facebook or some other type of more social network um, and trying to bring the two together. So then it all comes to your message and how you're presenting the opportunity and making sure you don't look like a stalker as you present the opportunity um, and making sure that you know their background before you approach them so that, especially in construction, I'm not approaching somebody who's the owner of the company about an estimator job, and I'm not approaching an estimator about a project management position. Um, So really knowing your market and then talking to the person and letting them know what the opportunity is and why it's a good move for them is incredibly important when it's a tough position to fill. Yeah, that's got to be a little bit of a challenge to try to understand that person enough that you can have a connection, you can talk to them, get them interested maybe in what you have to offer without, like you said, coming off like a stalker. Uh, you don't want right. to say, ah, geez, I noticed you were at a concert yesterday and hope that was great. You know, <laughs> you could really come off as in a very negative way. But at the same time, you want to make sure, I guess, you you understand who they are and uh, whether or not they'd be a good fit, right? Exactly. And, you know, this is really one of the best times to be somebody who's establishing a presence online for their career. And it doesn't matter what you do. Um, Whatever you do, you could make some kind of career page, about me page, LinkedIn page, or whatever. So you're findable so that a recruiter or sourcer could make that first step towards you. And that's really, really important because I think so many times people go through the process of, you know, applying on a bunch of different sites, maybe using Monster or Career Builder, and those are all viable means. But when somebody comes to you with a job and says, you know, I have this job and I really want you to think about it, that's a completely different experience. Um, as opposed to kind of doing the wait and see and hoping that they look at your resume in the great big ATS world that they have to sift through. Um, 
And I think that in many ways, because we are approaching candidates, that we have gone ahead and we've already reviewed their online profiles and gotten sort of a ballpark feel of whether or not they're going to be a good fit or not. It really sort of opens the door already because so many people like to have that job served up to them on a silver platter for them to review and consider. And some of them say no. They say, no, it's not the right time or, you know, I'm just not ready to do this yet or really I'm looking for X, Y, Z and not this thing. And that's good. That's fine, too, because what we do is we just keep the relationship going with those people for the future opening that we will have for them. So it's an interesting experience these days. So then what are the expectations of your clients when it comes down, you know, to what you're providing as far as a service goes? Because, you know, a person might look like a fit based on their skill set, but when it comes down to the culture or the environment, they might just not work out. So how do you know when that candidate you know, that you've chosen will fit that particular, you know, culture and need of that client beyond that skill set uh, standpoint? I think it's because of the client relationship that we build from the get-go. I mean, people get interested in us because of our very competitive rates, because we have a three-year guarantee on candidates, because we do things like that. Um, and so we're getting very well known for, you know, providing a high quality level of candidate. Everybody wants their candidates to stay once they've been hired. Nobody wants anyone to leave after just a few months or a year and have to go through the process all over again. Um, But as far as really getting to know the candidates, it starts from the beginning with our quality control process. I mean, I go out and find people, but then before they even make it to the point of, you know, getting notified about the opportunities that we have available, we take a second look. We have another pair of eyes take a look at their background and say, is this person really going to be a good fit? What are we seeing on paper or digitally that makes them look like a good fit? And then we go ahead and we we start talking to them. We do a conversation. We reach out to them and have a phone call and talk to them about what their goals are. And, And then all along in the background, while we're doing this and reaching out to candidates, we've had really thorough conversations with our clients. So we know exactly what they want. We've gotten to know the hiring manager. We've gotten to know the whole interviewing team so that we know where the weaknesses are as far as, you know, if certain people have a preference for a certain kind of degree or something else that could knock people out or we find out why the last person left or if they were fired and and what those reasons were some hiring managers will say i absolutely you know can go with the bare minimum of requirements if they really will fit in well with our office and that's something that we always try to look for too right well it sounds like you have a really good sense of what your uh, clients need a good sense of the candidates that you're talking to and that kind of really goes back into culture. So I'm wondering, then you must have a pretty good idea or something, you know, fairly identifiable within your own organization then. Uh, for as much as you're doing, uh, you know, outwardly, I'm wondering if you take a moment to look inward, you know, how would what would you say is kind of the key to the, the culture there at Staffing Advisor that, Advisors that really kind of sets you apart from other staffing firms? You know, that's really interesting because we are all starting to build a lot of longevity with the organization. I can mostly speak from my personal experience. Um, I came from a large organization. I was working on training and developing sourcing materials, and it was a great job. Um, But it was not a good work-life balance. And that's one of the key factors we have here is that we have a good work-life balance. We're a 100% virtual company. Um, And so that's very favorable to establishing your work-life balance and setting your hours the way you want to set them. We're all available during that typical business window. 
of 9 to 3, and certainly we extend it depending on what our responsibilities require. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having having that power as um, an employee to say, well, this is what I'm going to work today, this is how I'm going to flex my time, you know, I work virtually, so I have to, you know, go be in another state because I've got to be there while somebody's having surgery or something. The flexibility that's allowed within our organization is huge. And what comes with that is sort of this motivation that wants you to do your best. You want to go out and you want to do the best at your job because you've got this great job that treats you with respect and flexibility and and really lets you strive to be your best in the environment you're most comfortable in. So within that, do you think there's a particular characteristic then that's really important for someone coming into your organization to have in order for them to fit into that environment? Yeah, I think so. I think they have to be independent. And I think um, every single one of the people on our team is not only independent but able to take charge. Because sometimes, you know, when you're working in a home office all by yourself and you're reaching out to people by phone or email or whatever, you have to figure out things on your own. And occasionally you have to be your own IT tech support until the IT guy gets there. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you, you have to be able to, you know, troubleshoot incredibly well whatever the problem is. And, and I think we all react well to that. And we all pitch in for each other, too. Well, I know that uh, kind of changing gears here a little bit, uh, you had the opportunity to compose some articles for a blog called uh, Fistful of Talent. Uh, I know yes. we've had a, a few of the contributors on there. I know we had uh, William Tincup and you know a few others. So maybe you could talk a little bit about one or two of the articles that that you you know wrote for the uh, for that blog. Uh, that maybe people would want to check out that you kind of had some good I- impact and, and response on. Well, you know, I've been writing for the blog a while. I get to count myself as blog member number four, I think. Um, Somebody can check that on me and let me know for sure. But a lot of what I focus on is sourcing and social media. And there's been different things that I've really enjoyed doing. Some have had great response. Some haven't. Um, I've always enjoyed writing about Google and all of the different features and functionality that it has for us. I've written pieces on Google+. Um, about when it first came out as well as where it's gone to and and how it's continuing to develop. This summer I have um, a sourcing lesson series like to get people started because this particular industry within HR, there is turnover, um, but turnover in a positive way. People sort of grow through this position in many cases. They see it as a stepping stone. And then there's some people who are like me who just really enjoy the ride and, you know, maybe stay in a routine search position where they can go ahead and and do a variety of positions as opposed to being pigeonholed into just one industry. And the sourcing lessons are really focusing on thinking beyond just the semantics of putting and and or together in order to find people online, but thinking about, you know, who are you going to shadow? Who are you going to learn from? How are you going to talk to people? And then also bringing in some of the important things about how to, you know, run a search online and the different tools and tactics you can use. But I think... um, Over the past year, one of the pieces that I wrote um, that I felt was really pretty rewarding was that was brought to my attention that one of our acquaintances through the firm um, was really unhappy about the lack of a stalking policy at LinkedIn, the ability to block people who are harassing you. And so I just wrote a piece on that, and that was really interesting to see how it all sort of 
kind of went forward and how LinkedIn actually did develop, you know, more functionality so that you could block people that you didn't want to see your profile or see what you were doing professionally. And I think that's a very good idea to allow users to have that ability to do. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different groups. There might be different reasons why, but there's definitely a whole group of people that just from their own safety, I mean, there may be trying to escape an abusive spouse or something like that. I mean, there was a, a lots of different reasons why you would maybe want to block that kind of thing and block certain people, uh, not to mention just general professional reasons, right? I mean, you you may want to put yourself out there, but if other people in your organization know you're doing that, that could potentially be a problem for you. So you may want Yeah, and, you know, that's that's one of the things that Fistful of Talent allows for is that I'm able to explore, you know, how you can best leverage LinkedIn. You know, how do you go ahead and turn off those notifications so your boss can't see that you're expanding your profile or that you're <laughs> connecting to, you know, 25 people, including a sorcerer named Kelly Dingy. You know, right, I mean, right. those, are, those are things that are important to to figure out how to do and, and handle them in a very subtle way so that you're not setting off any red flags within your organization. Now, you mentioned Google Plus earlier. Now, I just kind of in a, from a general perspective, do you feel like that's becoming more relevant, or do you still think it's kind of on the fringe areas there of really being relevant when you compare yeah. them to the other you know platforms? They could turn it off tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. They probably could do that, and, and you know, I would be sad to see it go because I feel like um, – it offers up a different sort of voice that I can hear. I find from an international perspective uh, with the peers I have in the U.K., it's easy for me to follow them on Google Plus compared to Twitter or LinkedIn. LinkedIn has become very noisy to me. It's very hard for me to um, keep up with the people I'm interested in keeping up with. Twitter is not so bad. I can still keep up with people on Twitter, but that's because I use a tool called Nutshell Mail. That allows me to track certain lists and groups that I want to follow mm-hmm. so I can hear what they're talking about and, and stay up on things. Um, yeah, so I find, uh, you, you know, know yeah, I, with Twitter, I will, you know, I follow certain people, and so I kind of get a little alert on my phone whenever they tweet, so I can kind of pay attention to what they're doing. You know, and, and LinkedIn has gotten a little bit noisy, but at the same time, there are people it's easy to follow, easy to look at, uh, to kind of know what's happening. Uh, Google Plus, uh, it just doesn't seem like there's a great way to exchange information or, or there's a really a way to engage. Uh, I mean, you can have these people in your circles, but then it's kind of, right. it still doesn't, seems like they haven't quite figured that out. And then what we've noticed lately with Facebook is that they're just really kind of the opposite of Twitter, which is Twitter's you're getting things constantly at the, you know, it comes through at the moment someone tweets, you can see it. Whereas Facebook right. is now slow, you know, kind of slowing down withholding information from you until later uh, unless yes. unless you're going in there intentionally changing it to most recent I will see right. three days later that someone had dinner down the street from me and, it, and they're showing it to me like for the first time and it's like sometimes that moment of engagement is is enjoying what someone's doing along with them at the moment that they're doing it which is what Twitter's doing right but Facebook's gone True. away from that True. they're now doing it later on now you're telling them oh that concert looked fun that you went to a week ago because I'm just now <laughs> seeing it on my wall you know yes no I, I agree I have that same problem with Facebook and especially because there's so much advertising pushed into your Facebook feeds now right. um, that it makes it very challenging the, the thing about Google Plus is that it is part of Google and so if you go and build a profile on there even if you don't use it every day you're 
you're creating a bigger digital footprint for yourself. Yeah. So if you can throw some information and some links in there, the findability rate goes up for you. So yeah. if you're looking at it from the perspective of a record, recruiter or sourcer or a job seeker, there's some value to it. Um, it's the king. It's, you know, there's, there's no one who can rival it at this point as far as right. search goes. So yeah, for search, SEO, absolutely. You, have to, you need to yeah. have it. But that's about the only reason why. And so you, gotta, you keep feeding it, but I just don't feel like anyone's really paying attention or engaging there. Uh, which yeah, is I think kind it depends on your circles because I think the level of functionality can go up if you really know how to use it. But it also depends on what you use every day. Like some people are very Outlook and Microsoft Office based, whereas I have my Gmail account up all day. So I'm seeing when I'm getting notifications about, oh, there's mm-hmm. a podcast going on here or there, or, you know, um, you can jump in on this conversation or whatever. And so from that perspective, I think. It depends on how much you're a Google user anyhow on right. whether or not you would see the value in it, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, because uh, we get such unique answers, is uh, what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about it? <laughs> the book I just finished was Lord of the Flies. Um, Biggie, I've been going okay. through this. <laughs> holding the conch, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've been going through this phase of trying to catch up with some of the books that my kids are reading in school. And so one of them had read Lord of the Flies. I had never read it growing up, so I wanted to read it. And so that was the one I just finished at the pool the other day. That's a good book. Yeah, it's a good good pool read. Uh, The other one was Why the Cage Bird Sings. I decided to pick that up after my Angelou passed because I had never read that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a good read as well, so... We, it's interesting how many different types of, of books that we get. Sometimes people are really into, you know, things that are management or things that are, uh, you know, related <laughs> to the industry. Some people are all about fiction, all about, you know, getting inspired or getting a story. And then we have people who, uh, they only want to read biographies. They want to learn more about what, you know, certain right. people are doing. And then if we had guests that say, I, I can't stand to read books anymore, all I read is blogs, you know, which certainly is good for a uh, fistful of talent, so... That's um, true. That's yeah. true, and that's how I start my day is with, you know, blog reading and Twitter reading and all of that just to see what's going on. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I certainly find I, I do. I, I still do, you know, some books, but I find most of it is, is blogs. Uh, it's kind of that instant access and, and, and feeding into topics that are really interesting to you at that moment. So I, I wondered if you, when you think back uh, over your talked about a 20-year career in HR, and I'm assuming maybe mm-hmm. some other work experience even before that, but maybe you could pinpoint one or two events or maybe you know one or two people that really had a big influence on the type of leader you are today, and maybe you could kind of you know talk about what that event was or that person that had a really impact, big impact on you and why. Um, yeah, that's very easy to pinpoint. That was, you know, 17 years ago when I was pregnant with my second daughter and I was working for this telecom company based out of Germantown, Maryland. And I had um, two bosses. One was a dotted line relationship and I worked with our international operations. And then the other one was with our sales organization. And she was the one who, you know, understood what I thought about sourcing online. And that was 17 years ago, so, you know, we certainly didn't have the resources then that we had today. And I was ready to quit because at the time it didn't make sense financially to have two kids in daycare and be working just to pay for daycare, so I was going to stay home. And when she heard that, she was the one who said, why don't you try this? Why don't we set you up to work from home? You come into the office one day a week, 
and we'll see how it goes. We'll see how many hires you get, and we'll incentivize you by the number of hires you get and and that kind of setup. And she just took a complete risk, and it ended up working out great because two years later, I was back to working full-time completely from home and have been working from home ever since. Right. Now, through some different firms because telecom mm-hmm. just kind of went into the toilet in mm-hmm. 2001, 2002. But she really gave me huge opportunity. Yeah, and At the it, same time, the manager I had the dotted line relationship with kind of taught me about everything I didn't want in a manager. So, right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I had the good and the bad there. So We've, we've just, all had you know. those, right? You learn a lot from yeah. someone, but not necessarily the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're just Absolutely. about at the, at the end here. I want to make sure we get an opportunity if anyone is interested in learning more about staffing advisors uh, and, and the blog. How, how can they do that? Well, the easiest way, I have a super easy email. It's kelly at staffingadvisors.com. It comes directly to me, and I'm happy to respond to any questions there. And certainly any social media outlet, you're more than welcome to. I kind of have a, a personal rule of business stuff I keep to LinkedIn and, twi- and Twitter, unless I've met you face-to-face. If I've met you face-to-face, I'll talk to you on Facebook. But for the most right. part, LinkedIn and Twitter is the, another avenue to get a hold of me. Well, uh, fantastic. It's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you today, and I appreciate you being on the show. And certainly we'd love to have you come back at some point and uh, give us an update on how you're doing. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Wonderful. So uh, Nicole uh, uh, Felleris is coming up next after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting talenttalkradio.com or octalkradio.net, and you can click on the Shows tab and click on Talent Talk. Uh, Since we started the show about a year ago, we've already amassed a huge following. As we mentioned, over 32,000 of you are getting that podcast and listening to it each week, and we really appreciate your support. My next guest is Nicole Filleris. I hope I'm saying that right. I could be completely screwing it up, so I'll apologize in advance. But she's the founder and CEO of Elite uh, Development Group. Uh, don't forget to tweet your questions to Nicole right now at, at PeopleG2 using that hashtag Talent Talk. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And was I saying your last name correctly? Salotis. Uh, it's Greek. It's, it's Greek. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I have a good friend who's Greek, so I, I picked it up that was probably Greek, but you're saying it much better than I do, which makes sense <laughs> since, it's, since it's your last name. So You did a great. You did great. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, besides the fact that you're Greek and, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm part Greek. Part Greek. Okay. Something you're going to go. And, of course, your company, uh, Elite Development Group. I started Elite Development Group in 2002. And prior to that, I was um, at certain time as a chief information officer for a startup. We were, like, at the very beginning of the dot-coms, before even dot-coms were even cool. And during that time, I was also studying chemistry and doing my pre-med work at UCI. And I got into the tech industry from working with this dot-com company. And I wound up doing their infrastructure. And um, pretty much, I got the, the whole grassroots experience of being an entrepreneur, meaning that you work hard, you work constantly, you work smart, and it's nose to the grindstone. And so you also do everything. And I've realized that one area that I had a particular aptitude in and I was just pretty good at was in the security. This is before you had a multitude of vendors, before you had any, like, really hardcore firewalls. I mean, that, this is back in the day where a PIX was like, oh, my God. I, we were, if there was some type of infection, we were actually going through the system or we were pretty much using Norton the best that we could. Right. There wasn't that much of an option. And when that company, the the two partners, they decided to not move forward with the company any longer, I, I took a little bit of a break. I was doing my pre-med work, and I had multiple people come up to me yeah, I said, hey, you know, like we we need some help with this. Um, we have this employee, you know, we, we think he took some stuff. And this is at the very beginning of everything. So and it sounds like you turned in your, your your stethoscope for for entrepreneurship and and jumped into sort of the security world. Is that right? That's that's exactly what happened, and it just it started out as a need, and especially for the small business segment and the small to medium, where they didn't have the reach to technology the way the larger companies did. And remember, keep in mind, this is when information security was still at its very, very infancy. Right. So was that really the driving force then in starting the company? Was that you, know, you, you saw a need, you had people you know, asking you to, to help, or did you see something even bigger there as well? Intrinsically, that, that was it is that there was such an inherent need. And when you're dealing with that specific type of client, it's very personal. Mm -hmm. You see how they're emotionally affected. Beyond just how their business is affected, you see what happens when their network is held down for 24 hours. You see what happens when they lose a couple days' worth of, of email. You know, it, when bad things happen, it's not just like, okay, well, let's, we can write it off, let's, you know, move forward. These people, this is a personal thing. Mm-hmm. And it was sad, especially, they didn't have any help. You know, a lot of them felt that they they just didn't know where to turn. 
Well, so it sounds like you're able to identify a need. You're able to, you know, solve a, a real business challenge that, that people had. Um, but then, you know, even if you can do that, many entrepreneurs then run into their own challenges in running a business. So I'm wondering if you had any challenges that you had to overcome along the way before you're, you know, to turn your company into a success. The beginning years were rough. I was self-funded. Pretty much any profits just continually just kept reinvesting back into the company. Um, Stayed very lean and mean. I'm a big believer in that. It was hard in that sense that you're just constantly going. But it's sort of part of the dues that you pay. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of earning your stripes as an entrepreneur. You know, it, it's supposed to hurt a little bit. So you, um, yeah. So you can kind of go through that uh, that time when you're, like you said, you're reinvesting money back into the company, and you're probably living on you know as minimal as uh, funds as possible. Uh, many of us were eating, you know, tuna and uh, and and top ramen for a lot of the time during those first couple of years of starting a company. And then I imagine at some point you started to things started to get better, and you started to feel. Uh, you figure things out, right? And your company starts working, getting yeah, better. absolutely. It's- yeah, and one of the, just to kind of like give you a little bit of insight about, because when you said about the ramen, that brings back fond memories. But for me, it was canned string beans. Like, I am like the master. And that that was my my early year entrepreneurial go-to. Right. So, you know, I was, we, you know, I got past that point. And one of the huge opportunities for Elite Development Group was being contracted by other IT companies or hosting companies. Um, giving, we were given phenomenal opportunities to to work with either the company themselves or they were referring us to their clients. And, and that was really just, that's where the door started really opening. And things different was I had to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the most difficult, I think, a decision. That was a time that we were growing very quickly. But yeah, so it sounds like, you know, you start to build, your company's getting more success. Uh, you're having to hire your first person, which is always a big challenge for an entrepreneur because now you have to include somebody else in that process and the decision-making and, uh, you know, to, to, you got to pay for their payroll. You got to now be responsible for feeding yourself and somebody else. So imagine though that you said that you started to get connected with with in partnerships with these other groups. So as you started to be successful, as things started to work, I'm, I'm wondering what do you then started to feel like was making your organization unique or different that was really drawing, you know, that success in. From the client side, it was the trust and the investment especially on my part, that I wasn't just the founder CEO. I just wasn't the person going out there and going over the proposal. I was also one of the engineers working on site. Mm -hmm. That it was a very personal experience. There was a level of, of investment and consideration that we have with our clients that I do think that's unique. And did set us apart. And, and, and do you have a, any specific things that you think that those would, you know, you can identify? I mean, is it, uh, 
you know, the, the type of service that you provide? Is it the customer? I mean, people sometimes kind of hang their hats on different things. Is there something you can identify of what that would be? Well, well it's, it definitely it was me personally doing some of the work that that was of tremendous value. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I just wasn't out there, you know, say, okay, and these are your issues. You know, I was actually the one doing the work, that there was a level of accountability there that was respected and appreciated. Well, and I'm sure, too, it gave you a lot of input on what was happening. You're not sending other people out there and hoping it works. You're actually seeing how your, you know, solution is working and how you're able to change it and make it better. So a lot of times that's a really important feature for an entrepreneur, doing the work and being involved in, you know, getting your hands dirty early on to really formulate what's the best approach and the best way to do this going forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And from the client side, it's so appreciated. They know that you're invested in their success and in our particular situation, it, you know, in terms of their security and making sure their network is up and running and that things are the way they're supposed to be. You know, they know that they're unaccessible. Mm-hmm. If I'm not on site, I'm still accessible. And I know... It's one of the, it just—it was so profoundly cool to have the relationships that we did with our clients. Well, and imagine as that's grown and you've had better—you know—your relationships have uh, really started to, to work, and, and your company's grown now. And you talked about hiring that first employee, and I'm sure you've had to hire more. What do you sort of see as the real strategic needs, as far as? You know, recruiting and finding, you know, wh- wh- what kind of talented people do you look for to really continue to carry on that mission and to carry on that level of service and touch that you've been talking about that you were delivering? You know, wh- wh- what kind of people are you looking for to bring in the organization now? We've been through different iterations over the past 12 years or so. And around the, the 2000, 2008 mark, we were starting to get really big. I, I needed to scale back um to some things that were going on with me and my health. And then we went back to being a smaller company. So it's we've been through different iterations, but in terms of retaining talent and having strong partnerships, for me, I look for character. It's not that difficult to teach somebody how to set up a network or how... To how to set up a firewall or to do things properly or how to, you know, get a virus off a computer or, or do a backup or restore a backup. But you can't teach somebody to have character. You can't teach someone to have a good work ethic. And for me, I am not a micromanager. I'm not human resources. And that's something that I learned the hard way a couple times. It just, that's just not my area of expertise. My expertise is in information security, is in doing the penetration, actually, you know, going out there, getting my, my hands dirty. As an entrepreneur, especially as a self-funded entrepreneur, having a bad hire was really a hard thing to get over. Oh, absolutely. I can't tell you. I mean, my company, that's what we specialize in is background checks and employment screening. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times we've had people come to us and whether it's a bad background check was run or they didn't do background checks or they didn't, you know, they didn't really look at the character of that employee. They didn't look at those things. 
and it really impacted their company. Firms, we've seen firms go out of business. We've seen firms almost go out of business. We've uh, had a firm that you know lost a million dollars because of a bad hire, and they did absolutely no checking on them. And so it can really, really impact a company to bring in someone who's not there for the right reasons, who hasn't told you the truth about what who they really are and what they can really do. Um, and you mentioned you can train someone, but if you think you're bringing in someone who has a background in IT architecture or something, you assume they know certain things. And if they don't know those things, you could suddenly put your client system in jeopardy, right? Just based on if they didn't really do all the things they said they do or got the certifications they said they got or, you know, or really expand that into position. So I'm really glad to hear you say that because that's an important thing we talk about all the time with our clients. Yeah, due diligence is everything. And even when it comes to doing background checks and following up with um, in their past employers and everything, there is nothing that I found should be, you can't just rely on a background check or what their previous employer says about them. You have to sit down with them. Uh, sure. I, I do understand in larger companies that they have, in, in more traditional corporate environments, you know, they have their protocol. But for us, especially during back in our growth period, everybody, would, all the engineering staff would sit down with the potential hire. Because chemistry was one of the most important things for us as an engineering team. Oh, sure. Yeah. That everybody had to work well together. There had to be trust. There had to be respect. There had to be that flow. Because a lot of times they were problem solving together. And as I said, one of, I am not an HR or micromanagement type of CEO. I don't like that. It's, that was one of the, the worst times that I ever had being a business owner was when I was in the situation of managing personalities. It's not my thing. It was, I consider one of my biggest mistakes. But you know what? You, you learn. You learn and you grow and you move past. But yeah, definitely, I've, there's something about sitting down with somebody and looking them in the eyes and getting a, a real feel for them and just that you just can't see on paper alone. Oh, I agree. It's, uh, you're absolutely right. Well, you know, we're, we're almost out of time here. I just have two quick questions for you before we end. Uh, one was uh, a question we always ask all of our guests, and kind of given your background, I, I assume you're probably an avid reader, so I'm wondering uh, <laughs> uh, what book maybe you've, you're reading now or have read recently that... Uh, you know, an entrepreneur or an HR executive might find interesting, and maybe you can tell us, uh, you know, quickly uh, about that book. It doesn't have to well, be directly the, related, but anything you found interesting, we always like to, to learn that from our guests. Well, I'm a super particle physics nerd, and astronomy, um, I'm actually rereading the Elegant Universe right now. I've also just finished that wonderful book called The End of Illness, and that's outstanding. It's by David Angus. He's a doctor of the USC and a researcher. Amazing. Um, also, one book that I've just kind of started, uh, it's about oxytocin. It's a moral molecule. Now, in terms of being something that's more entrepreneur-related, um, 
I definitely love Brian Tracy's golf book. Mm-hmm. And I, pers- I, I, it's like a manual. It's something you highlight and you keep on going back to. Some great suggestions for anyone who's interested. In, it kind of gives a wide range there of, uh, <laughs> of ideas. And, that, and that's why we asked the question. It's fascinating for us and it's fascinating for those people who are listening. The different types of things that people are, are reading, that they're interested in. And that kind of kind of keeps them going. So I appreciate you. Yeah, you know that. and it's so, and that's really in terms of being an entrepreneur and the work that you put in. You also have to take care of yourself and and take care of just your whole person. And I, I it just I can't help but agree with you. And for me, it's anywhere from particle physics and getting into string theory, which is what the elegant universe is about. And um, from a business side, you know, Brian Tracy and his goals books, it's just something I keep rereading. And I go back and I look a couple years earlier what I was highlighting, what, what was I looking at. And I can use that almost as a metric mm-hmm. to see how I'm progressing and where I'm at now. Well, those are fantastic suggestions. I'm sure we'll... Uh, the l- listeners would, would love to, to take a look at them, uh, whether it's uh, string theory or it's goal setting. Um, I'm sure someone will, there's a, there's one there for somebody. So, uh, I'm sure. Um, but the last question I had for you is, uh, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, your company? Okay, I could be reached on Twitter at Elite Dev Group, and sure. right now our website is we're launched. So the best way to get a hold of me pretty much is Twitter or email, which is Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, at EliteDevGroup.com. So EliteDevGroup.com at some point will be up and active uh, with the new uh, relaunch because uh, people might be listening to this show uh, in the future. So why don't you can always check her out there. Uh, and, Nicole, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's about all the time we have, so uh, we'll uh, look, look to hear more from you, from you in the future. Uh, thank you again also to uh, Kelly Dingy, who joined us earlier. Uh, next week, we will begin our show with our one-year anniversary on uh, Talent Talk and on OC Radio. And we have a very special guest lined up. Uh, if you've ever uh, read anything by Marshall Goldsmith, he's a multi, multi, multi-time uh, best-selling author. He's also the CEO coach of the stars, uh, or to the CEO stars. And he will be on for the full hour next Tuesday, uh, picking his brain, hearing his incredible wisdom. Uh, so you won't want to miss that. Tune in. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.